This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where we examine the financial and business news across the world in what has been a shocking and unprecedented week. I'm Nick Howard, and joining me is Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. Craig, good to speak with you once again. Obviously, coronavirus is going to be the topic of discussion for today. Measures to stop the spread of the infection have keeping the public indoors in many countries, cutting spending, threatening businesses and putting people out of work. Where are we already seeing the effects? I mean, I think we're seeing the uh, the effects everywhere, whether that is through people taking wage cuts. And I'm, uh, I'm yet to meet anyone who doesn't know someone who's at least um, been asked to take a, a salary cut, but most of it is pretty enforced at this point. This is where you find out that actually our contracts, many people's contracts, have this kind of thing written in. Uh, but obviously there has been mass, there a lot of layoffs. And again, you hear, you hear about plenty of them, but I'm sure there's going to be plenty more to come. The, the government schemes to try, kind of protect small and medium-sized businesses um, there's, there's only so much protection you can really offer and there's only and the problem with many of these jobs is it is quite easy to lay these off I think we've actually discussed this on the show before where we've been talking about the flexibility in the labour market I think really helped uh, maintain it in the lead up to Brexit because employers knew that if the worst case scenario happened that they could lay off workers pretty speedily so they didn't need to stop hiring or do anything in anticipation and the real test of it was going to be when the crisis actually hits and uh, people are able to so well that's effectively what we're now seeing uh, so it will be interesting to watch those um, employment numbers now over the next uh, over the next few months obviously it's going to take its toll on the economy that, that that's absolutely inevitable if everyone's staying indoors restaurants and bars and uh, are shutting no one's going out to the shops then it's inevitable what's going to happen but of course there is going to be some winners out of all of this uh, again, the number of people sending me through pictures of themselves uh, preparing to paint their living room or do some form of home improvement because if I'm going to spend all my time here, I may as well make some use of it. Um, obviously, people may be spending a lot more uh, on Amazon, the the quick deliveries, uh, maybe Netflix, things like this. All of the, the there are always going to be winners in these kinds of uh, situations, but unfortunately, there's going to be far far more losers, uh, and that's going to come at the expense of businesses hopefully businesses that can stay afloat, but obviously employees as well. The timing of this crisis, um, compare, for example, if it had taken place a decade before, the internet services which are available now compared with then, um, it would be a very different story. It would, it would. Uh, thankfully, we are capable of working from home. And again, this this is something we've discussed plenty of times on the show before. It's about how... We go into these offices every day and there are obviously benefits to being in the office. And in some cases, it's an office is a place where you where many people at least feel like they need to be or certainly benefit from being there. But there's a lot of jobs where uh, working from home or working from an office is, is much for muchness. Uh, and the, the fear is always that employee, employees will maybe take advantage of working from home and it will have an, an impact on uh, on efficiency. And I'm sure that's probably going to be the case in some in some cases but what we have seen in the past is that sometimes these kind of desperate scenarios can open our eyes to things and can open our eyes to vulnerabilities in the business but also show that there is potential uh, opportunities and uh, and an ability to 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 transition and transform uh, businesses uh, a little bit and potentially reduce overheads uh, in the process 
you uh, we uh, the cases always that uh, always have mentioned to me is India uh, with the demonetization. Again, lots of people suffered, businesses suffered cash massive cash flow problems. But then the the take up in in electronic payments uh, that happened during that period was was dramatic uh, and it's stuck in many ways. And I think that's one of the interesting things that could potentially come out of this is when businesses realize just how certain parts of the company can actually run quite effectively from home, maybe there is going to be a much greater leniency to say, if you want to work from home, that's absolutely fine because we're measuring your performance, not the number of hours you spend in the office. You're right. There are going to be people who find that their jobs can be done from home. That meeting can be an email. Um, That email can be something that you do yourself. I suppose an issue is going to be that there are businesses who realise that actually some of their workforce might not be as necessary as others. But more broadly, this could actually be a sea change where businesses find that flexible working is something that they could be putting in place permanently. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and that, that's I think that's that's the really interesting thing is we always uh, we always uh, prefer face to face. I mean, it's natural that you prefer face to face. It's 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 a, a much nicer experience. And it's not always about what a nice experience it is. Sometimes it's about what is the most effective way to do something. And quite often, these uh, the, these type of meetings can be just as effective, but far simpler for many, many people. So the, the, I think that we are going to learn a lot about our businesses now over the course of the next 10 weeks or so, and their ability to cope. And when once people now have setups at home, and that, this is another thing as well. Up until now, one of the reasons why people haven't, either been able to work from home or chosen not to work from home is because they just don't have the infrastructure at home to necessarily do so. Maybe they don't have the space. Maybe they don't have an office. Maybe they don't have uh, a computer desk, whatever. Well, people are now putting those those things in place to enable them to work at home in the short and medium term. Businesses are providing the capability to, whether that's through buying laptops, uh, monitors, etc. So it's going to be interesting to see what the take-up is when it's not um, essential. Obviously, the experience now, and again, I'm hearing a lot of this, the experience now is going to be tainted by the lack of childcare. So people are um, very, uh, very much making their opinions heard about the fact that obviously their kids are now at home as well, which makes does make life a lot harder in many cases. But it, I say, I think it's going to be a really interesting, one of the, a really interesting experiment to come from this is people's ability, willingness, desire even uh, to work from home uh, going forward. Yeah, a lot of kids and pets making their appearances in video conferences I've seen. Um, I'm going to draw your attention now to where the most um, volatile movements have been um, this week, uh, which is markets, um, whether equities and bonds. The governments of various countries as well as central banks have been desperately trying to bring back some stability. Which measures have you seen that are actually working? What effects uh, are actually pulling investors back from the, uh, the bloodletting? So as the week's gone on, the kind of volatility that we've seen in equity markets has slowed slightly. Now, that's not to say that it's fallen altogether. Um, We've seen some quite extraordinary moves, and this week would be an extraordinary week if the last two or three weeks hadn't ever happened. We've seen so much central bank action over the course of this week, and it's always difficult to attribute what's actually working, what is effective, uh, and what is um, what is just a desperate attempt to slow something down without actually uh, being that effective. I think a culmination of all of these factors is starting to filter into the markets and starting to uh, 
uh, create some um, some ease for investors potentially. I think the most important thing is the credit side because the last thing we need in this situation now is a credit crunch. So we don't need credit tightening. And that's one of the things that the Federal Reserve in particular has been desperately attempting to do, ease the credit markets and ensure that we do have the, the plumbing of the financial system, as it were, continues to work extremely effectively. But what we've effectively seen now is we've seen 14 central banks this week all cutting interest rates. The Bank of England obviously has increased its quantitative easing, its uh, bond buying, and it is predominantly uh, government bonds by fifth, almost 50%. We've seen the Federal Reserve has restarted its quantitative easing program. The European Central Bank has restarted its quantitative easing program. And then on top of this, we've got things like the TLTRO's term funding scheme has been increased, etc. So these central banks are doing everything. Like, like I said, they are they have thrown the kitchen sink at this. They are doing everything within their power to ensure stability in the financial markets, to ensure credit markets um, remain um, remain loose and easy and that we don't have a credit crunch. And I think it's probably working at this point, but it has taken some incredibly dramatic measures. And let's face it, who knows where we're going to be a week from now. I may be eating my words, but I think so far the measures that have been announced are currently working and uh, that is a major relief because the last thing we want is for this to turn into a credit crunch as well. Okay, let's look a little bit further ahead. So the CEBR is putting out research, that's the Centre for Economic and Business Research. They're putting out data over the weekend about what they say is now an effective, inevitable uh, global recession. Their warning is now about governments trying to avoid it turning into a 1930s-style depression or rout in their terms. Um, I mean, from your point of view, looking across what's going on at the moment, is that something that is avoidable, do you reckon? I, I certainly think it's avoidable. Uh, I think it's going to be extremely difficult because this is a problem that governments and monetary authorities haven't dealt with before. There are obviously always going to be similarities and the credit side of things, I think, is one of the, the areas where you can always draw a similarity. But I think this is still a very different uh, problem than what these uh, authorities have faced before. I think talk of a depression is just too early. I've heard that word thrown around uh, a number of times now. And this 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 feels um, very dramatic for what we are currently dealing with. I think we're going to see a very sharp contraction now in the first quarter of this year as a result uh, of the coronavirus. We could even see a contraction in this. Uh, we were likely to see a contraction, obviously, in the second quarter as well. I think a recession is inevitable. But where, for this to turn into a depression, uh, then this has to get far, far worse as far as I'm concerned. The double dip is a risk. And I think part of the reason why it's a double dip is something that the governments have alluded to already in that you're trying to effectively smooth out the bell curve by having a sharp rise in the bell curve now shorter uh, and then trying to um, nip that in the bud early. You're effectively risking another spread uh, maybe later in the year, early next year. And that's one of the things that could effectively trigger another uh, drastic response and another uh, recession. So double dip recession. Um, if authorities handle this in the way that they are doing, I think a double dip recession will probably be avoided. Uh, but again, I'm saying that from a position of, like everyone else, we have very little information compared to what we're used to having. And we are dealing with an unprecedented situation, which makes this extremely difficult to anticipate with a disease that no one really truly understands. So that makes predicting, and I think I said this on the show earlier this week, making predictions now is uh, is a bit of a, a fool's game because there's going to be an enormous range of, of forecasts that are going to now be put out 
And really, it's like putting on a blindfold and throwing a dart at a dartboard. It's it's so difficult because of the lack of information that we have. One thing we've looked at in previous crises, obviously different kinds of crises, but is um, economies, countries, particularly in the developing world, which rely heavily on, um, well, have large debt in terms of US dollars, finding it more difficult to then pay it back because during a crisis, uh, people are buying um, US treasuries and pushing the uh, the dollar upwards. Are we seeing that at this stage? And are there any mitigating factors from the Fed? So the Fed, again, the Fed is trying to ensure that there's plenty of dollars in the market. So they've, they've extended uh, various uh, programs to various central banks around the world. They don't want, again, they, they want to do everything they can to avoid any um, unintended uh, any un- unintended consequences as a result of this. And we have to remember that with, when it comes to the Federal Reserve, they are the US central bank, but really they are the world central bank. Uh, as you've said, people, countries all around the world, businesses all around the world raising cash in dollars. So in times like this, then this can become very painful, not just for um, not just for people in the US, but for people abroad who now see their currencies dramatically devalued uh, compared to uh, US dollars. There's always countries that stand out for having large dollar denominated debts. Turkey's always the one that's uh, that, that, that's uh, used as one particular example. Countries have and businesses have gone to lengths to try and reduce this over the years, given the strength that we've seen in the US dollar. But these vulnerabilities are always, always going to exist. But we've seen about half a dozen measures, if I'm not mistaken, over the course of the last week or so from the Federal Reserve, all intended to try and deal with these situations and ensure that um, that the, 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 we're not going to see um, a, a massive issue uh, as a result uh, of, of the fact that the, the US dollar is the world's reserve currency, effectively. Mm. All right, Craig, let's look ahead to the week coming towards us. Um, Obviously, we have some data coming out um, and other, you know, the usual course of meetings. Is everything out of the window at this point um, or are there things that are worth looking ahead to? So the only thing that's really worth looking ahead to as far as I'm concerned is the PMI data on Tuesday. So this is the manufacturing and service PMIs for March uh, that are released during the month. So these are the flash readings from the UK, the EU, Germany, France and also the US. I think these are gonna be really interesting to watch because they give you, they shine a light on the current situation as we currently have it and as businesses uh, currently view it. So I think that could be really quite interesting and I think there could be some uh, scary looking numbers uh, there. Whether the markets buy into that is a completely different thing though, because again, it does feel like we're kind of operating in the dark at the minute. But apart from that, it is just gonna be coronavirus led. It's all well and good looking at the Bank of England meeting last Thursday, but since the last meeting, we've had two interest rate interventions to the Bank of England, now cutting them down to 0.1%, restarting QE, restarting the term funding scheme, and these were both uh, unscheduled meetings. So we may see nothing from the Bank of England at the actual scheduled meeting as a result. So I, I don't pay too much attention to these. I think really this is just um, this is just a, a live situation at all times. Any given day, something can happen. The Norwegian Central Bank cut interest rates this morning by 75 basis points in an unscheduled meeting. This is now the trend. This is the world we live in. And therefore, like I say, these markets are extremely live. Uh, and you can see that reflected by the fact that now when the FTSE rallies 5% just after the open on a Friday morning, no one even bats an eyelid. Oh, well, we'll be keeping our eyes peeled for uh, emergency announcements then. Craig, always a pleasure to speak to you. That's Craig Earlham, Senior Market Analyst at Oanda. 
Well, this is the Oanda Market Insights podcast. It's available from iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nick Howard. Join us again next week. the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am, listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.